But uh, this is a message that, uh, that I want to share with you from the book of Esther. Esther's not one of those that a lot of people go back and read and, and really spend a lot of time in, though I think it's a great and amazing story to un, un, unfold here on Mother's Day. If you think about a, a woman of power and influence, a woman of opportunity, of beauty, you have to go to, the, to a lady named Esther and you have to study her. Now, the only way you can truly appreciate the story of Esther is to read it in its entirety. And that will take you about 30 minutes maybe. You just sit in your living room, turn off the television, put the kids to bed or something like that, and, uh, and, and read it and sit down in one setting. And you'll see chapter after chapter of her life unfolding there. And I think about our life sometimes as chapters. How many chapters are you going to have? If you were to divide your life up, how many chapters of your life would you have? Think about your life as, a, as maybe, maybe an intersection of, of time and life coming together. And right now you're in this time, and right now it's your life we're looking at. So as you think about time and life, there's lots of music going on, extra Music, I don't know. Uh, as you think about your, your life, time and life coming together, um, um, where, where are you in the intersection? Are you, are you, are you, do you like the intersection you're at? Maybe you don't like the intersection that, that you're at. Uh, in, if you think about, think about it like this, is at one intersection is, is, is your time, and God has put you here for a reason. Now, you may look at your life and say, you know, what reason am I here? Why? Why am I here? And what's it all about? You think about these preschool mothers. When the, when the deepest conversation they have is with Dora the Explorer, uh, you know, what, why, why? What's it all about? Is that really what it's all about? Or maybe goos and awes in one sentence word, uh, sentence, uh, one word sentences? Uh, you know, is, is that what it's all about? But then you realize on the, on the grander scheme of things that you're shaping a personality. You're shaping an individual. You're shaping a destiny. Then when you look back at it at 30,000 feet and you, you get out of the, 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 the present uh, funk that you might be in, then you really begin to see the value. You take students, for example. Students think that their life will become meaningful and free and full of life whenever they get out from under their parents' rule. Whenever they can get away and, and, and experience life and, and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and, and the freedoms that they will have and, and the bills that will come and the reality that will set in, they don't realize that part right now. As a 41-year-old looking back, I look back at a college-age student and I think, man, what the freedom they have and the opportunities they have. It just depends on your perspective. You think about the person today you hold in your hands your career your vocation, where you're at right now. Now, if you were to hold it out there, just kind of imagine it in your hands. As you hold your life in your hands right now, your career, your, your, your thing you spend most of your time and day and energy on, it, is it good? Are you pleased with that? Is it something that, that, you, that you enjoy, that you, you really think that, that, that God's up to something in, in that right there? Because I'm, I'm afraid sometimes, again, we get so lost in the, in the here and the now that we miss sometimes things that, at 30,000 feet as God sees them. We miss the grand narrative because we're so focused on our narrative. Take your Bibles, look at the book of Esther. 
And Esther is that chapter 2. Let's just look at chapter 2 for a moment. Because when you think about Esther, you think about a, a, a beautiful young lady in, in a time and a nation whenever there's a beauty contest going on. Now, I don't have time to go into chapter 1. You can read it again when you have your set down with Esther. But, but, but just realize there's a beauty co- contest going on. And it's a Persian beauty contest. And the, 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 the underlings of, uh, of King Artaxerxes is sent out into the land to find the most beautiful woman on the earth. And the most beautiful woman in the Persian Empire, and to bring her to him. And he was going to choose from amongst these beautiful women, and he was going to find his next wife. And so you come to verse 8 and 9 of Esther chapter 2, and let me just read it to just kind of give us some context. And it says, And when the king ordered that uh, uh, his, his edict and were proclaimed, and when many of the young women were gathered in Susa in the citadel in the custody of Haggai, uh, Esther also taken into the king's palace and put into the custody of Haggai and had charged uh, who was who had charge of the woman of the women. And the young woman pleased him. Now who's this young woman? It's Esther. And won his favor and quickly provided her and her cosme- quickly provided her with her cosmetics. It's like Merle Norman or whomever showed up at her door, you know, all you can have in a lifetime. And her portion of food, okay, lifetime meals at Ruth Chris or whatever it is. And, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, advanced her, fast-tracked her in other words, fast-tracked her and the young women to the best place in the harem. So here's what goes on. Across the country of Persia, in exile is where Israel has been. They've been in exile for a number of years, and here they are in exile. And and so it's all the land of Persia under the rule of the Persian, the Medes and the Persians, and and, and they bring together, and here's the seven drop-dead, jaw-dropping, head-turning, page-turning women of the land. And Esther's one of them. And so what do they get? They get to live in this beautiful palace. They get to live with all the cosmetics that they could ever want. They get to live with all the, the best of the best food throughout the land. Now, there's, there's, there's an agenda here, as you can imagine. He is trying to find his new wife. He is wanting her to be beautiful. He is wanting her to be the perfect person. Now, every woman in the land would have envied this. This is the Miss Persian uh, contest, okay? And Esther has just made the top seven. But now if you go on and you skip down to verse 12, in the last part of verse 12, uh, or excuse me, no, skip down to verse 12. It says, and, and now when the, uh, when the turn came for each young woman to go to King Asherah, which is also King Artaxerxes, after being 12 months, 12 months, under the regulation of the women, since this was the regular period of beautifying. All right, they already chose the most beautiful women. And then they took them for a 12-month, one-year life of spa living. All right? Tell me a woman that doesn't want to live in a spa. All right? This is spa living, the best food, the best place, the best beds, the best of everything. All right, and the king is trying to judge whether or not. And here's what happens in this 12-month period. Six months of oil and myrrh, six months of spices and ointments for women. 
when the young uh, woman went to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem uh, to the king's palace. So here it is. You can have whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. You can, ju- you can wear whatever you want. You're going to wear the best of the land. It's the best of the best of the best of the best. And this is Esther's life. What a promotion. What a life. What I mean, it is American hedonism, uh, gone Persian style, all right? It is the absolute ideal life. And many of us, to some degree, live and desire, would love to live like that. Now, we would, you know, the best food, yes, we'd like to have the rest, best restaurants. The best uh, a spa, yes, we'd like to have the best spa treatment. There's nothing wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with what's going on in Esther's life. But for some, myself potentially included, I would think that that's the number one reason that God just chose to bless me. He just chose to give me that kind of a good life. He just smiled on me. He just looked at Mike McDaniel and said, you deserve that kind of treatment. And your promotions in life and your things in life may be because of your Brawn, not your beauty. It may be your brains, not your, your brawn. Whatever, brawn, beauty, brains, whatever it is in life, God just sometimes pours out a little extra on some other people. And Esther had it. And here she is living in with the king and in a beautiful situation. Now, how's the outcome? Well, you can probably guess the outcome of the story is Esther wins. Here she is, a Hebrew woman chosen among the most beautiful women of all of Persia. And of those seven women, the top seven, she is picked the most beautiful. She was a head turner. Look at verse, uh, verse 15, the last part. Now, Esther was winning favor. I think that means she was drop dead gorgeous. In the eyes of all who saw her. She's beautiful. Everybody was seeing her, was looking at her, was enjoying what they were seeing. All right, verse 17. And the king loved Esther more than all the women. She wins. She gets the crown. She gets the throne. She becomes the queen of the land. She gets her own palace. I mean, again, it is beautiful. She doesn't have to go to the king. In fact, she can't go to the king unless the king calls her. It's that kind of lifestyle. She has everything she wants. And the one time she does go to the king, if you go on and read the rest of the story, basically the king says, whatever you want, it's yours. So if you would think for a moment, if that could be your life, if you could script out your life to have anything you wanted, eat anywhere you want, have the best services and the best maids and the best care, who in the world would not want that? I want that. Esther wanted that. It's a beautiful promotion. But is that all there is to it? Is that all there is to life? And I want to say to you today, and I want to challenge you again to keep looking at life on two levels. We live at this intersection called life and time. All right? We live at this intersection called life and time. That's your narrative. That's your story. All right? And it's chapter by chapter being written. But I want to propose to you that there is another level of life. It's called the grand narrative, if you will. It's the bigger story. It's the God story. It's what God is up to. And here's a couple of things we need to realize about this promotion that happens with, uh, with Esther. This mission that she is on as she climbs to the top. And I want you to jot these down uh, with, with me, okay? Number one, I want you to understand that life's promotions are God's promotion. 
Now, I want you to hang on to that because I want to tell you the rest of the story. I've only told you chapter 2 so far. And again, if you think of your life in chapters, we've only done chapter 2. Let me tell you about chapter 3. Chapter 3 is whenever a man named Haman is, uh, is, a, is a, pretty much the chief of staff for King Artaxerxes. And whenever, whenever Haman would walk through the streets, people would bow down and give him homage. They would, they would bow down and worship him. And all of a sudden, Haman is walking through the streets, and a guy named Mordecai doesn't bow down and worship him. Well, that makes Haman absolutely angry. Haman, a little bit again in the context, is this. Haman is Esther's uncle who raised Esther. So there is a direct connection between Esther and uh, Mordecai, excuse me, Mordecai. Between Mordecai raising Esther. So Haman uh, uh, is mad at Mordecai. He is furious at Mordecai. In fact, he is so mad at Mordecai because Mordecai doesn't bow down and worship him. He goes to King Artaxerxes. He pays him a huge sum of money and he says, listen, I'd like to kill all the Hebrew people. Artaxerxes looks at the money. He looks at the Hebrew people. He looks at the money. He looks at the Hebrew people. He says, I'll take the money. You take the Hebrew people. Go out and kill them. All of a sudden, this is chapter 3. Chapter 4 comes along. Mordecai hears the story, hears the edict. Everything goes out. It's the date, time. Everything's been set. All the Hebrews are going to die. It's all going to be finished and done. And now Mordecai writes a letter to the queen. Where's the queen? The queen is living in the palace. And he writes them this letter and he says, Listen, you've got to realize, you are in the palace of the king for a reason. For a reason. You are there for a reason. Let's pick up from the story. You need to help save the people of Israel. Chapter 4, begin reading in verse 12. In verse 13, excuse me. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Basically, the same edict that's going to kill Mordecai, the same edict that's going to kill all the other people of Israel, the same edict is going to kill Esther as well. You will not escape. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish And who knows, now here's the key statement, don't miss it, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Grand narrative, my story. Grand narrative says this, do you realize, Mordecai says to Esther, do you realize that God may have promoted you to where you are today for a greater good than you living a posh, plush, pampered lifestyle? Yes, it's fine to live that lifestyle if you will. But I want you to think about this, Esther, for just a moment. That maybe, 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 yes, God did something in your life for such a time as this for the kingdom of God that you might help preserve the kingdom of God, that you might be a part of the answer. I want to say to you today that the very first lesson that we need to take away today is that life's promotions are God's promotions, or for God's promotions. That Esther was more to be, more, it was, there was more to Esther's life than just being a head turner. For some of y'all, 
It's not your looks that get you where you are. It, it's, it's, it's your brains. It, it, maybe for others it's your brawn. Maybe for others it's your networks. Maybe for others it's because you're just a good business person. You get where you are, but why are you there? Why are you where you're at right now in the place that you're sitting in right here at this intersection in your life? Why are you here? And I want to propose to you not just to look at your narrative, look at the grand narrative and ask the question, maybe what Esther had never thought before, that maybe she was not put in the palace so she could live a pampered, plushed, posh life, but maybe, just maybe, she was there for a greater good for a higher calling in life. I don't know if you've read the book uh, by Rick Warren. Most people have. Many people have. Purpose Driven Life. How many of y'all have read that? Raise your hand. Okay. I would suggest everybody read it. There, that, that book is somewhat tempting. It seems like a self-help kind of book where you just kind of figure out, what is my purpose in life? But you notice it's not, what is my purpose in life? Or how do I live my purpose out in life? What is the purpose, okay, of your life. How do you live with, 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 with a purpose in life? Now, the key phrase in this entire book, and I can tell you, it's actually the very first sentence in the book. Everything else pivots and, and comes off of the first sentence. You know what the first sentence says? It's not about you. See, the, the sooner I realize, the sooner you realize that life isn't about me. That my promotions are not about my own good and my own glory and my own fame and my own hard work and my own beauty as Esther would do. It's not about my own brawn or my own whatever. My promotions are about God's promotion. And that maybe just the reason that Esther got to where she was was not so she could have a posh plus lie, but actually that God would use her to save the people of Israel. And He did. If it were not for Esther, what would have happened? I don't know. But God put Esther in a place and a time where she was. Now think about your life. Think about your work. Think about your neighborhood. Did God give you the house that you live in so that you could have a nice, beautiful house? I don't think so. I think maybe He gave you that house for such a time as this that you might open your house up for other people. I don't know. Maybe, maybe God blessed you with the way He's blessed you financially so that He's promoted you in the way that He's promoted you for such a time as this that you can help somebody else. What is God? How has God promoted you in your life, your jobs, your relationships? See, the thing is, is I think we think that it's all about us. And I make the money for me and I live in the house for me and I, I drive the cars for me and... And there's nothing wrong with living that lifestyle as long as we realize that our promotion is not for us. It's for God. See, we buy things we, we, buy things we don't want with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. What's wrong with that picture? What's wrong with that? We do that all the time. And what is that? I think we miss that God may have wanted to use that same money for his glory somewhere else. Or God may have wanted to use our time for His glory somewhere else. Or God may have wanted to use our brains for His glory somewhere else. But instead, we use our promotion for ourselves. Esther was not put in the place where she was put in so that she could live 
that plush life. She was put into place for such a time as this to save the people of Israel, and she did. Realize that your promotions in life are really for God's promotion. What are you doing with your promotion? Number two, is our mission in life is God's mission. Why I exist, again, to emphasize that Esther was eye candy, if you will. But really, that's not what Esther's main aim and purpose in life was. She was on a mission. And again, her mission was not to, to make the king happy. Her mission was not to make sure the palace is all clean. She had a higher, grander narrative. Yes, she can live in the palace, and yes, she can make the king happy, and yes, she can keep it polished and clean, and yes, she can be beautiful. That's all fine. That's your story. But how does your story fit into God's story, the grand narrative? And you know what she said when it comes down to it? She said, if I have to give up my narrative for God's narrative, I will. I will live on mission with God. Because see, the rule was in that day is... If the king doesn't call you, you don't go to the king. If you go to the king and the king doesn't call you, it was an immediate death warrant. And you know what she does? She realizes her role. She realizes and sees what Mordecai sees. And she realizes that she needs to step up and do something. So you look down in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 16. She says this, Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, if I perish, I perish. I want you to understand something about living on mission with God. It takes courage. It takes courage, number one. If you're going to live on mission with God, it will take courage in your life that you will say, I am going to go to the king. If I need to go to the king, I'll go to the king. Whatever it means, I will do it. Courage, I'm afraid, is lost. Courage is one of those things that we want to take the easy way. We're like water many times. We take the path of least resistance. And we think, again, if we live like Esther, that's the path of least resistance. You know what? Esther could have written a note back to Mordecai and said, You know, Mordecai, I really love the Jewish people. I really love my heritage. I really love you for raising me. But. But what? But I like the palace, and I like the, I like the food, and I like the entertainment, and I like the spa treatments, and I like all of this, and I don't want to give it up. But instead, she was courageous. And she said, I will go to the king. I will go to the king. And you do not go to the king unless you are called. Winston Churchill said this, without courage, all other virtues lose their meaning. Think about that. You may be a person of love, but you've been hurt. And so therefore, you're not going to love someone because you don't want to be hurt. You lack the courage to love. What good is love if you don't have the courage to love? Let's say you have faith, but you've been burned. People have broken your trust. They've let you down. What good is faith if you don't act on it? You've got to have courage. Let's say you have wisdom. Let's say God has granted you this tremendous amount of seeing things and understanding things, but you're going to keep it to yourself because you don't want to ever be found wrong or proven wrong or whatever the reason is. Courage. You've got to have courage. Life requires courage. Living on mission with God requires courage, but also living on mission with God costs. Okay, it costs. 
There's a cost involved. Notice what she, she puts the price tag on it. She makes the price tag quite clear. She says, if I perish, I perish. You know, whenever we live the Queen Esther lifestyle version one, when it's all about getting as much as you can get, having as much as you can have, living the posh life as much as you can live, driving the newer car, living in the bigger house, when that's what we live for, then when the opportunity to be courageous, when the opportunity to actually put it all on the line comes up, we won't do it. We won't do it. Because we're living more in our story than we are in God's story. In the book of Esther, you prove me wrong, the word God is never mentioned. It's interesting. It's the only book in the Bible. A little bit of, bit of trivia for you. The only book in the Bible that God is never mentioned. However, when you read through the book of Esther, in that one-time setting, you will see God at work throughout. God providing Esther a place, giving her her beauty, giving her an opportunity to get into the king's palace, giving her an opportunity to get it before the king to plead on behalf of the people. On and on and on, you see God orchestrating and working. Now, if Esther only lived for Esther, if, if Esther only lived for herself, she would miss it all. If she wasn't willing to pay the cost, that's why I say when we come to the to our faith and our relationship with God, if we're going to live on mission, we've got to be willing to hold out in our into our hands our life and say, anytime, God, anywhere, God, anything, God, it's yours. Anytime, anywhere, anything, God, anytime, anywhere, anything, God, it's yours. I hold nothing back from you. Can we say that? If we're not, we're living for ourselves. That's why Paul said, in, or excuse me, Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. There's something about the Christian faith truly lived out in the grand narrative is I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not on my mission. I'm not on my own self-promotion. I'm on God's promotion. I'm on God's mission. One of the greatest guys of the faith, men of the faith to live, I think, in the 20th century was a guy by the name uh, of Bill Bright. He started Campus Crusade for Christ. It's on many college campuses around the world. In fact, our missionary, that, uh, uh, Zach, who's going to, to Australia, is going with Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, Bill has gone to be with the Lord at this point. But when you read his story and you find out all that he has done to, to influence people to follow Christ. It's amazing. He, he was the one who was behind the Four Spiritual Laws booklet of helping people come to faith in Christ. He was the one behind the Jesus film. It's estimated that through his life and through his ministry that 150 million people over the course of his life gave their life to Christ through his life. Wow. Wow. Rick Warren was interviewing him one time and asked him, why did he feel like God blessed him so much? He made this statement. He said, when I was a young man, I made a contract with God. He said, I literally wrote it out and signed my name at the bottom. This is what the contract said. From this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That, my friend, 
is what God can do immense things through. Is when we make ourselves completely and totally available for Him. When we are living on His mission, with His purpose, with His promotion in mind. But here's the short skinny of it, my friends. (laughs) Most of us live for ourselves. Myself included. It's about my promotion. It's about my mission. When God may have given you the knowledge, the influence, the skills, the promotion that you have, for such a time as this to do some beautiful, amazing things. We have a challenge that we put out before the first service, and there's actually some need even still yet today. But, you know, it's amazing. The first service responded so well. I want us to think about our lives and flip them today. And here's the challenge, to flip your life from being about, going about, looking for your own promotion and your own mission in life, your own self, okay? And make it about others and make it about Christ. We have several ministries across here because it's Mother's Day, right? We gave out gifts on Mother's Day. But what if we flipped our life and we said, you know what? It's not about me. I'm going to serve other people. And what if, the challenge is obviously to the mothers, but the challenge is way beyond that to the men and the children and the youth in this room as well. But I want to talk specifically to the mothers. What if you took your life and you said, okay, God has given me this, whatever it is. How can I use it for Him? For such a time as this, the intersection of my life, in the grand narrative of God, how is He working that I want to be a part of His work? And so the challenge I put in the first service was this. We have 140 needs here where we are giving, I challenge the moms to consider giving their Mother's Day gift to these mothers, single mothers at these different organizations. These are single moms, 140 different single moms that we're going to try to bless on Mother's Day. Over here we have Restoration Village. I think we have plenty in that one. But that's a, that's a place in northwest Arkansas that helps uh, mothers and families that are kind of in a dysfunctional situation in time. And uh, we want to bless them. We also have Havenwood here, which is actually a single, uh, single mom's uh, kind of uh, apartment complex that we actually do some work at and do some ministries in. But here's the thing. You don't have to give your gift away. That's your gift. But here's the challenge. You might very well know of a mother of a somebody who needs to be blessed. And what if this is what happens from now on? Somebody gives us something. We get a promotion. We get, we're, we're blessed with something. And instead of doing this right here and looking at our own self-promotion and looking at our own mission in life, what if we do this right here and we pass it on? What if this became our lifestyle instead of this, our lifestyle? Whatever it is. So the challenge today is this, to look at your life, where it is right now, but look at it on the grand narrative. What does God want to do in your life to bless other people around you?